As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, so this is Soccer Every Day, and I am your guest host, Matt Pence, I'm filling in for Alex Abnos, who is currently enjoying Miami, which I am very jealous of as I look out my very gray Seattle window. Yeah, uh, Luis Robles, he is not if he is enjoying Miami, and that is a joke that most of us won't remember in three years, frankly, but it was one I needed to get off my chest. I'm Jeff Reuter, and I will also be on uh today but also a couple of days throughout the week here uh, in lieu of alex abnos so the other guys here we are we <laughs> we did it we crashed a podcast matt but yeah so so we were kind of brainstorming potential ways to to fill in this week um and i kind of landed on one of the sort of niche interests that both of us overlap upon um and it's something that we actually talk about offline generally and so i feel like those are usually pretty good excuses for podcasts is just having people get on to talk about something they're both very interested in. So what we are talking about is the English Football League Championship, uh, the second tier of the English pyramid that both of us are very interested in generally. So to start kind of broadly, I wanted to ask you to kind of give your own little explanation for why you're invested in this thing that not too many people seem to care too much about and why you think the championship is worth following. Because I actually think I would make the case that it's maybe my favorite league to follow anywhere. I, which is maybe a bold claim, but you can go ahead. It's absolutely in my top three, Matt. I think you and I represent two of the few Americans who know that M-O-U-T-H can be pronounced myth because you support Portsmouth, I support Bournemouth. And so... I think historically, maybe you're more used to watching the championship. Bournemouth, of course, had its very brief stay in the championship before getting promoted as they went through their whole kind of cavalcade of promotions after almost getting liquidated uh, under Eddie Howe's guidance, stayed in the Premier League, and then got relegated. And so they've been there for the last couple of years. Uh, for me, it's, it's just a fascinating mix of clubs that feel hard done having been dropped from the Premier League and there's all of the pressure of getting back there to keep the cash flow going and if not, uh, the tragedy that we've seen with so many other clubs and how they operate after not being able to get back to the first division. But I also love the stories of the up-and-coming clubs, the clubs that are able to crack through it. I mean, it, 
at this point, it, you know, I, I think that you can look at League One and you can see a few different clubs who look like they could be on the cusp and could become that sort of furniture of the championship or for five, ten years or so. But, you know, I, I think that you see probably my favorite part is January because you're watching so many clubs try to assess in real time what is our chance of getting moved up how scared are we of the drop and how much money are we going to be throwing at this in a desperate attempt to not fall and so the transfer fees like towards the end of the deadline or towards the end of deadline day tend to just be absurd in this league which i love i think that you need that sort of chaotic transfer economy for a league to be truly interesting and so i think for on-field reasons and off-field reasons the championship uh, aside from housing my favorite club of course uh, those tend to be why i come back to the second division of england as much as i do yeah and, and i think an important clarification here is that portsmouth is not currently not in currently the no it is not uh, they are <laughs> and i feel like that's a, a good little way to clarify like why i enjoy it though because like Lee One, I mean, I follow that closely as well. But like that, it's kind of the limit. I still love things about League One, but like it's a little sad and bad. Like it is. Like it's a third division. It's like it's not. There are a lot of games that you watch, and there's no one really there, and there are some like truly small clubs that don't have much of a following. And so I guess it's like the limit of like how hipster and being willing to be. Uh, whereas the championship, like I'm gonna get like a little bit high minded here for a second, but like. One of the things that I wrestle with as like a soccer fan and wanting to like stay engaged and interested is that like at the top level, it has become so big money corrupted to a point where even like for an American sports fan, man, it's like, yes, the NFL owners have their own little like weird thing, weird <laughs> little fiefdoms and weird like made their money in shady ways. But man, global soccer, whenever you have like fan bases like jumping over themselves to embrace Saudi Arabian money, right? like it's tough, like it is. Like how do you reconcile that with whatever, your fandom? And, and it's just so hard to even compete in the Premier League if you don't have this sort of shady revenue coming in. And I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't exist in the championship too, because it does right. to an extent. To a scale. But I think right. to me, it's like that sweet spot between like, you can be aspirational without having completely sold out all of your morality. Um, and so it kind of hits that like sweet spot for me where it's interesting and it's compelling, but it's not as corrupted as the top level is. And so it just like really hits all those boxes for me. Ideally, you don't have to think about the ethical side of supporting a soccer team uh, regarding what they're trying to sport wash. I do agree with you on that front. I do also want to say, though, in, in defense of League One, this year is a fascinating group of teams. Like you said, there's like some really small clubs that don't look like they're truly going to compete. Like this is kind of the height of where they will get. And so, you know, more power to them for sticking around. But I mean, you've got some some really like strong legacy clubs that are still in it. I mean, like Sunderland, of course, every Netflix user's favorite English team uh, suddenly stopped making a documentary <laughs> after they got another relegation, which I completely understand, by the way, why you would not continue to pile on the misery of yeah. this if it doesn't look like... I'm sure once they get promoted, they will bring back Sunderland till I die. But, uh, I mean, you have that, you've got Bolton, you've got Portsmouth, unfortunately, you've got Sheffield, you've got Ipswich, who had a takeover before the season, uh, and they had some kind of visions of grandeur that haven't really pulled together this season. They've had to make a coaching change pretty early on, but... Um, you know, any number of those clubs right now, it looks like Rotterdam and uh, Wigan are kind of in pole position to be 
moving up automatically. And so they would be interesting in the championship. But uh, I mean, let, let's get into the championship now at this point, I suppose. Uh, the top of it is not the most interesting part of it. <laughs> I think especially if you just are focused on who's going to win the title, that's been pretty much locked up since November with Fulham really running away with it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's always kind of the case, though, too. And part of why I wanted to talk to you about this is, like, I think this season has, even by championship standards, been particularly interesting because one of the things that, following this league closely, it, it, it had kind of threatened to, like, break itself into these, like, defined tiers every year. Like, the last couple of years, it's like the Premier League money is so big yeah. that anyone coming down is, like, has such an advantage that it almost seems like there's this perpetual tier of like three teams going up, three teams going down. And it's like the three. So, yeah. but this year it does feel like things are genuinely in flux to a very interesting degree. Like, yes, Fulham is pretty much locked in, but like from Bournemouth all the way down to really like, you can like keep scrolling down. And there are so many teams in the mix, really all the way down to like Bristol City in 16. Yeah. Like they are currently what? 10 points out, but like that gap, like there's just a lot of teams that are right in bunched in that middle. And I think that that has made this very interesting. It, it's just, there's so many teams and so many games in this league that it's always a little bit of a mind trick as you're like looking at the table and you're used to playing 34 games in major league soccer, 38 games in most of the major leagues that you'll follow because they'll have 20 teams in it. And then you look at the championship and I mean, they've played 32 games. So you think it's the home stretch, but they're going to play 46. And so you still have a third of the season left. Uh, where to your point, you know, like a Bristol City, even a Swansea's at 38, but they've got a game in hand right now over, uh, or two games in hand over fifth place Huddersfield. And yes, there's a 15 point gap, but it could happen mathematically. And so uh, there is some intrigue with that front. Fulham has just been unbelievable at this point. I mean, their they're 50, plus 51 goal differential is more than twice as large as any other team in the league. Uh, and second place Bournemouth would be at 23. Um Alexander Mitrovic might be the best second division striker in world history. I think that it's unfortunately for his career, he's had enough time yeah. in the second division where you could really make the case that no one's done it better at that level. Uh, I mean, certainly in recent memory, it's hard to think of another striker who both had that level of success, but failed to get that sort of first division move that kept them out of the second division for years on end. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, and, and Fulham like has been really good. But like, I think that again, going back to like what we like about this league, I think we kind of like the mess and the chaos. So yes. we can like even just leave them alone. We can like tip our yeah, let's move on back that. that's excellent. But like, I'm not even that interested in them at this point because <laughs> we're just running away from everybody. But that's sitting good. in second place, this, is, this gives you an opportunity to opine on your beloved cherries. Yeah. If you want to give everyone a quick rundown of where they're at, what makes them tick, why you have either enjoyed watching them or been maddened by them this year. Yeah, it's been a it's been a tough second season. Um, I, I say tough. They're in second place. And they have two games in hand over third place, Blackburn, and they're four points up. We're recording this on Monday. Uh, their game on Tuesday, by the way, Bournemouth's game, was postponed after um, some issues with Swansea Stadium due to uh, storm... Uh, Oh man, I'm gonna. Is it Eunice? I don't want to get the the e name wrong of the storm. My apologies, global listeners. But um, the, the the storm right now in the UK has postponed a lot of games, including two games in a row for Bournemouth. So they are having some difficulties keeping up in terms of just quality of games. I'm sure, or quantity of games, I should say. By the end of the year, they're going to have a lot of fixture congestion. I would imagine as they're making some of these up. But uh, Bournemouth's story has been that on paper they look every bit as strong as Fulham. 
and you will get them in 60-minute windows where they look like the best team in the league, that they're playing aesthetically pleasing soccer there, be able to pass it around and move it around, progressively get through the lines in an aesthetic way. But unless they're able to get the ball directly to Dominic Solanke or unless Philip Billing uh, is able to do his tricks because he's suddenly become a much more attacking-minded player than Premier League fans will remember him being with Huddersfield when he was playing under David Wagner. Uh, I, I think that the story for Scott Parker's first year has been total capitulation in the final 10-15 minutes of games. And there have been a number of times where Bournemouth has been two goals up in the 80th minute. Uh, it's actually happened twice in the span of three months where they've been up by two. Jefferson Lerma specifically has gotten a red card, and then they have conceded multiple goals to let teams back into the game. So it, they have struggled to close out games in a way that does make their promotion challenge feel a little more tenuous than the table suggests. I think that they were incredibly proactive on the deadline day. They brought in five new players. Uh, Todd Cantwell is probably the highlight coming down from Norwich, and, and he's already looked very uh, confident. He's looked like he's fitting in quite well. His passing has been a, a breath of fresh air for the Cherries. Uh, but, I mean, they brought in Siriki Dembele, who's one of the best dribblers in the league, so that they're able to actually maintain the ball and move it forward rather than relying on Parker's passing systems, which fans will remember from his time at Fulham as well. Uh, Nathaniel Phillips has come in and really, really helped fortify the back line. Uh, I know he's kind of a, a fan favorite cult hero type for Liverpool fans after the work he had to do with all the injuries they had last year, but um, he's looked more at home in the championship than he ever really did in the Premier League. So uh, it looks like they should get promoted. I don't think it's quite as confident as people uh, or fans of the club hoped <laughs> that this push would be. It's not a cakewalk and, and certainly going undefeated or unbeaten, I should say, in the first about month and a half, two months of the season made us really think that we were going to be the team out in front of everyone else instead of Fulham. But uh, I mean, at, at a certain point, yes, you want to win the trophy, but people are more likely to remember that you got promoted than that you won the league outright. So uh, it's kind of on course, but it's not as comfortable as I think the club would have hoped in this second season. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, and they definitely, it does seem, like you said, I mean, on paper and just talent-wise, like it just does seem like there's a little bit of a gap between them and the rest. Um, and I would probably put money on them to be the second team that goes up. Um, but beyond that, like it really is just this like huddled mass of, of all of these teams really grouped together. And this is, to me is where it really gets interesting because typically at this stage of the year, as you kind of hit that final stage, like you just get this pack of like various former Premier League teams who are like a couple years more farther removed from each other. Yeah. And so trying to like coast on 
on what they have left. Whereas this year, like there are some like genuinely new names in that mix that I think make it really interesting. Like Blackburn, QPR, Middlesbrough, Luton Town, which I really want to get into at some point, yes. but we'll come back to them. <laughs> um, Nottingham Forest, Coventry, like all of these teams who like have not been in the top flight in a very long time. Um, and Blackburn in particular is pretty interesting in that I don't really, even watching them play, I don't get a sense for like how they've been as good as they have been. I agree. Even like, yeah. And even like off the field, like the the athletic, we had done like a really interesting deep dive into all of their dysfunction over the last like 10, 15 years that came out last year. Uh, And that's like a genre of story that like not to like hype our own product too much, (laughs) but like I think our UK team like kills these like deep dives on dysfunctional clubs oh, yeah. and getting into the lore of how it all works. And really, so you have a couple of minutes in, in, in this conversation, get you interested in the athletic at all. Go check out that Blackburn story. Like it just really got into like just how dysfunctional it had been. All that having been said, like it hasn't translated this year. Obviously they've kind of come out of nowhere. I um, mean, they have faded a little bit down the stretch here, but like, they're still right there. Does anything stand out about them to you? Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, I think that faded down the stretch recently is going to be a recurring theme of the rest of this podcast. I think that you're going to look at a lot of the teams, whether they have promotion hopes or they're a team that's trying to get out of the relegation zone. Um, the the table has really balanced itself out, I would say, over the last 10 weeks. And it's gone from the haves and haves nots to most teams looking like they're in a tier altogether. Um, Blackburn, I mean, really have been catalyzed by uh, Ben Brereton-Diaz. The uh, the discovered. I love the story, by the way, of him getting discovered through football manager scouting that he is a Chilean international um, through his bloodline, and, and and that story of how he's the latest in a revolving door of Chilean strikers trying to be that sort of talismanic figure up top that they haven't had since Alexis Sanchez came in and became that figure on the wing, and they've struggled to have a central anyway. Now it's Ben Brereton. He has twenty goals. There's only one other player on Blackburn that has more than three this year. So it really has been a case of him being the focal point and opponents still struggling to contain him. He's a very quick player. He's a player who likes running with the ball. He's confident with the shot, certainly. Um, he's picking up additional flair. Uh, I don't know if it's just playing in Conry Ball more or not, but um, he, he certainly looks like he's coming into his own this year after having some potential and showing some glimpses in past years. Uh, it's been a really good year for him, but you know, I, I think that they don't look that far ahead of the rest of the teams in the, the promotion pack. And I think what's interesting is once you get beyond Fulham and Bournemouth, it's really unclear who wants to be in the playoffs this year. And it's another reason. I can't believe that we've made it this long into why two Americans like uh, the championship without getting into the promotion playoffs or the relegation battle or any of this is outright why we watch it. But um, yeah, it's worth highlighting. Yes, the promotion final is both one of the most hyped games and almost always one of the most disappointing games of the year in terms of the quality of the the football at play. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that is true. But I, on the flip side of that, the promotion semifinal games are Amazing. always like yes. the absolute best because they're home and home and the crowds are always just insanely hyped. Yeah. And like in those games are always really fun. So definitely yeah. mark your calendar and like... And sort of what you're saying about the the structure of it all, I agree with you totally. And I almost think that like whoever designed this format was like a brilliant like sports mind because like having the two go up automatically, they almost always feel very worthy. And yeah. like 
three through six are varied enough that like those teams are all very good. Yeah, like, you have to. You, yes, some of these teams are fading right now, but like, you have to have something special about your squad to get into that top six. And there's always like seventh place is always like completely shattered and heartbroken because they were so close. Yeah. Um, and getting into some of that, like we don't need to go team by team or else we're going to be here forever. Right, but right. like I wanted to like offer you the opportunity to like highlight any of these teams in this next little pack that you might like or enjoy watching. And I think that a narrative that I find fascinating right now is one of the teams running counter to what you're saying of some of these teams fading is Sheffield United. Mm. Another one of those teams that had some of that EPL parachute money coming down, but they were awful early in the year. Like, awful, yeah. awful. Like, yeah. lost their first five games by multiple goals awful. Yeah. And now, all of a sudden, they have surged all the way up into six. And for me, probably the favorite, if I had to, to put a finger out on who will be that third team, I think mm. it's probably them. But right behind them, and a team that I've really enjoyed watching a lot, is Middlesbrough, um, who very intriguingly is coached by Chris Wilder, who had orchestrated Sheffield United's rise to the Premier League, then got in the axe as they desperately tried to save themselves last year. Yeah. And so like anytime you <clears throat> you have this iconic former manager going up against the team that he like really helped shape their rise, that's always interesting. And I also just love the way his teams play. I know that's kind of counterintuitive because like it's ugly and it's negative and they embrace that side of it. Yeah. I love teams like that. I always find it very compelling watching these like small runty teams who like decide that their only way to go forward is to pack it in and just play dirty and to go for it. And he embraces that wholeheartedly. In Middlesbrough, I mean, they have as good a shot as they have had in a really long time. And for, for closer followers, just knocked out Man U out of the FA Cup. Like they're a really fun team, and I would love to see them find their way up. What will be interesting is you know a team that's kind of fallen out of that pack more than most of us expected, who's going to be really trying to get into the area where Middlesbrough is, is West Brom. You know, to talk again about clubs that have been outside of the Premier League for long enough where they're really starting to panic. Um, I mean, they since the calendar turned, they've played nine games, one of which was in the FA Cup, uh, one to defeat at home against Brighton. They played nine games, they've only won one, and then they've only drawn two. So they've really been struggling since the calendar turned. And at first it really looked like they were going to be kind of an odds-on favorite to get third place um, as they enter the playoffs and be able to have the road, at least through the, the semifinals, uh, go through them before going to Wembley. But instead, uh, they've really been scrambling. They had to make a coaching change in February, so they were the team that decided to bring in Steve Bruce and give him another chance after his uh, kind of unceremonious exile from Newcastle over after the takeover. Um, they also really focused on fortifying the front line. They brought in Daryl DK, who was kind of the most coveted American striker among the not elite teams that are that. So there's there's two different pools of teams that are scouting MLS these days, right? And this is probably actually an area where people go like, oh, they have <laughs> they have a rationale for talking about this. Uh, anyway, there's there's the teams that are looking for the next. Gio Reyna, the next Weston McKenney, and they're just going to be chasing after 19 or under American players and hoping that they're able to get a player really on the rise and that through their ability to develop players, they will become, you know, kind of global level. And then there are those who are looking for the, the best players who look a little more refined in Major League Soccer. So again, these are going to be players under 28 usually, but um, and Daryl DK, by the way, is not old. <laughs> Let's get one thing clear. But he isn't an academy player. He is a player who came through the Super Draft. He was overlooked. There was actually a striker taken before him in the Super Draft by Miami. Shout out Robbie Robinson. Um, 
And so after what he was able to do last year on loan with Barnsley, it, it was good to see him come in back to the championship. Whether West Brom's the right club for him, we'll see. He is a player who can play direct, but he does have so much better like tactical pedigree and off-ball movement than I think some people give him credit for. I think that they look at you know a larger striker and just assume target man, and he can do so much more than that. It's kind of Romelu Lukaku syndrome in a way. Uh, but they also brought in Andy Carroll <laughs> after bringing in Daryl DK, which is such a different approach to that striker position. And so they're, they're desperate for goals. They are desperate for chances, for that matter. That has not been a strong point of theirs whatsoever. But um, I think that they're a club that expected to be better. They, they've certainly played well at home, but at, at, you know, away from home, they've struggled. And I think that at this point, it's kind of that make or break. Are you going to be able to get back to the first division? Or is this your level? Are you an EFL club? Um, like it or not for the foreseeable future. So it's a big year for them. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that they're going to want to turn some, some, some chances into uh, to goals because right now they are, looking at the table, they are third in big chances missed in terms of good chances created that were um, not turned into goals. For what it's worth, first and second in that is Fulham and Bournemouth. So qual- quantity yeah. tends to play out. Yeah, I mean, if we're just going to, I'm just going to throw off the yoke of objectivity at this point because part of my joy of following the championship is finding the teams that I like root for and the teams that I like don't want to see go up. And West Brom to me is the one that I don't want to see make a run. <laughs> it's like they had, okay. they still have that like fat cap Premier League money that they're kind of splashing around. They don't have like much of a, they don't play a very fun style. No. Like Steve Bruce is Steve Bruce. He's a very particular type of manager to bring in whenever you like have just enough money to make a push. Like, I don't, to me, I think that you're right. The the expected goals thing is interesting because I do think that, like, on paper, they are probably the third best team. Yeah. Which is wild because they are what? They're currently 11. Yeah. Um, but like, in, but to flip that and to go more positive again is the game over the weekend that I just loved is, like, them losing to Luton Town, <laughs> who is by if I'm picking one team I want to see make it up, it's Luton Town yeah. without a doubt. Like they are just like the most lovable possible underdog type team. Their nickname is the Hatters. That's right. Because Luton is known for its hat making. One of the best and their crests. crest is adorable. They play at a place called Kenilworth Road that fits 10,000 people and hasn't been renovated in like decades. Like they are the team that would be by far the most adorable and just the funniest to like make like Manchester City go and play there in like a league game. Oh, I, like that's what I want. And they beat West Brom 2 0 over the weekend to vault themselves up to eighth. They are currently two points out of the playoffs, which is amazing. Entirely and possible. that's all I want to see happen. Yeah, they were. I, I remember back when I played FIFA, I think they had just gotten promoted to League Two and I picked them purely off their crest and the fact that they had orange and blue jerseys. And it's just like, great. It's just something different. You know, there's like a good beekeeper little corner of their crest. That's just a nice touch. Um, but I, I think that they're, they're one of the more fun teams. There are very few teams where you don't have like a really hard opinion on. <laughs> I think at a certain point, especially now that there's just so much information available and there's so much access to watch these games that I think that inevitably, whether you really care about a league or not, you do form these sort of hard opinions uh, on opponents. And you think like, oh, they've got them on the schedule. This is going to suck. And I hate watching this team play. Right. But I I think that Luton is one that's pretty hard not to like, at least, you know, I'm sure that they'll have like a rival or two club. But um, yeah, they, they have been a very fun team to watch. They've been a team to watch despite 
being relatively anonymous. I don't think that they've necessarily had that same sort of like leading like second division star power. Like you'll see like, you know, names pop up from like the England U20 World Cup teams. And then five years later, they're this is their level of their career as they're about 23 years old. And so that's a whole, like the Dominic Solanke all-stars basically. But uh, they don't necessarily have a ton of that. But, you know, yeah, and they have one of the fewest uh, shot totals per match <laughs> of anyone in the league. And yet they're still really punching above their weight. It's been really, really fun to see. Yeah, and like, I mean, they were playing in like, they were playing in the fifth division, which is when you no longer are a professional soccer team, technically. Yeah. Like, they fell out of the professional period, and they were in the conference premiere as of 2014, which is, they have rose so far. And like, one of the things that I really like about them is that, like, even like the romantic American view on promotion and relegation, I think a lot of its appeal, especially if you're for a smaller team, is this idea that it's like, oh, like, they are one group of special players that want a hot run away from like being able to make it all the way up and to play with the big boys. And that's like not really how it functions, right? especially as like it gets harder every year as like the financial extremes get more extreme. But, like there really are few examples of a team truly coming out of nowhere, like even like Brentford, which a lot of people would sort of mm-hmm. like point to them as an example of that to an extent. But like, even they like they had radically overhauled their like scouting, really gotten into the analytics movement. They really do have like sneaky rich owners who had just built this like brand new shiny stadium. Like it remains to me like a great tragedy that they had played at this one venue. I forget the name of it, but it has like a great English name. And they had pl- I think it was like Griffin something. Yeah, they had played there for like 120 years of their existence. And they had never made the top division. So this like grand old building had so much life. And then they made the Premier League the year after they left. Yeah. And there was just something tragic in that to me. But like anyway, like they had to invest a lot behind the scenes to get to that point where they could make it in. Whereas like Luton Town, it seems like genuinely like they're a team that's just come out of nowhere and has like a really strong team identity and a group that really fights for each other. It, it is as much as you can come out of nowhere and make a legitimate Premier League push as exists. Yeah. Like the only other story that I can think of that's even similar is Ibar in Spain, uh, where they had like a thousand, like their stadium fit like 7,000 people. To the point that whenever they got into the like top division, they had to like renovate their stadium enough to get to like the minimum to even be allowed in. And they actually made a go of it once they were there. But like they're the only other example I can think of of a team this small and so out of nowhere that might actually make it up. And that would be awesome. I mean, I do think that like you're talking about all their like underlying stats. I mean, there's if they're a team that is like if there's a team that's ripe for aggression, they are the one. Yeah. But they're here right now. And there's not that far to go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're two thirds of the way through. And I think that, you know, just to kind of put a bow on this, like that's why you watch the championship. It's just like it's it's so much more unpredictable, especially in these stretch runs. And you'll look and yes, over the weekend, I think the Premier League truly became a title race again, uh, just with Tottenham's result over Manchester City and Liverpool's comeback as well. Um, so there is a little bit more intrigue there and there's the whole who wants to finish fourth in the first division. But beyond that, I mean, the, the relegation zone, it looks like it's kind of down to four or five teams this year. And so there's some matchup fatigue as well, I think, over the last year and a half, two years of just how many games have had to be played since Project Restart um, after the first wave of uh, the coronavirus. And so, uh, you know, if, if you're feeling a little bit 
dismayed at the idea of watching Southampton versus Brighton again. Um, and I know I just actually picked two of the best aesthetic teams in the mid table. So maybe the worst example I could have given you. But if, if, if you're looking at your, your matchup guide and you're saying, do I really want to watch Norwich play against Newcastle? Um, if you're not a fan of either, maybe just check out ESPN Plus, see what's on. Uh, they'll pick a couple of really interesting matchups. They do pretty well. They they used to pick this at the beginning of the year and then it was just terrible, but now they're doing it month by month, like how the primetime NFL games are chosen. And, and that's been much better for them in terms of getting these matchups. So if you have ESPN Plus, it's definitely worth adding to your uh, viewing options. Yeah, for sure. That That's a good shout. I mean, I, I what I end up doing literally is like, because I don't follow close enough, they're like, I mean, how are we going to get games spoiled on Twitter? Yeah. Really, right? With the English, like, it's not like there's like this big cadre of Americans tweeting about the championship. So what I do is like on Monday, I'll go back through and like ESPN Plus has full match replays and I'll just like throw on a game or two in the background as I work. And it's like a really cool. And so I just find that to be a cool way to follow. And like part of your point, too, is that I think they do a good job of picking games. But it's another benefit of it being a league where there aren't these mega brands, where it's not like the champion, like in the Champions League, while all the coverage is always centered around two or three teams who all have like the biggest names and followings. Like the championship, like no one really has it that much better than anyone no. else. And so they do, they'll pick random games and like random mid table teams. And you do, it feels like you get a full sense of the landscape mm. that you don't necessarily in the Premier League when it's so top six century and i will say um, also that on that yeah, on that just to close that point uh it's it's great if you're like a soccer stadium architecture junkie because they don't all look the same <laughs> they look there's yes. great variants so even if you just watch just to see what the atmosphere is like you'll see gazebos in the corner which is just such a lovely touch you'll see you know open stands you'll see stadiums that are incredibly lopsided where they had to build up on one side for TV reasons. And then the other side of it's very narrow when you get the reverse shot. It's, um, it's definitely worth watching for just kind of some good old school, small 15,000 seat stadiums that if you're just looking for buildings to pass the time as background fodder championships for you. Yeah. And just genuinely good supporter culture too. generally. I mean, it, it just the, the atmosphere is usually really good. And like, and one other team I wanted to, we'll move quickly here from here on out. Um, but one other team I did want to highlight if you're looking for kind of a neutral rooting interest is I think Nottingham forest is very fun to watch and they have a really cool proud history, but like a limited following. Like I think if there is like an American version of Nottingham forest, it's probably like, indiana state basketball <laughs> that like almost won the national championship uh in like 1979 and then regressed to their like mid-major form never to be heard well, from they had again. larry bird and nottingham but... forest like they even went and did it like they won two champions leagues and it's wild it is and now they yeah. just exist as this like very solid mid-table championship club but they have a really good following um and they just Ended up signing uh, Richie Larea um, from Toronto FC, who's a very good player. And I think one of those guys who you're kind of talking about, a little bit more of the polished product yeah. that I think could be a really good player in this league. Um, so they're going for it. I mean, they're trying, and that's cool. And like, I think they're another team to keep an eye on if you're just trying to get into it and find some random team to root on. Um, I did want to offer you the opportunity, if there's anyone else in this big huddled mass that you want to talk about, and then... We'll get into the relegation fight real quick, just because there's like one storyline that I think is amazing. <laughs> is it Darby County? Yeah. Okay, got it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's funny because Darby County, I think, would actually be pretty close. I mean, they would be in tied for 15th at this point. Um, 
if their record was reflected on the table. So they wouldn't quite be a promotion level team. But usually you don't see a team perform that well. So yeah, we'll get to it. But um, no, I think that we've really covered most of the, the, the promotion hopefuls. I think that, you know, you, you'll see a team like Coventry and they're they're just kind of that true classic difficult matchup where for whatever reason, it doesn't matter how they did their last five games. doesn't matter how your team did the last five games. They are a pain in the ass to play against. Millwall, same sort of energy. Stoke, same energy. These teams that have like a, like a negative two to plus four goal differential. There's so many teams like that this year in this league that um, really do make it a slog to get through at some points. But yeah, if we're going to the, the flip side of the table, it looks like, I mean, two sides of it. Unfortunately, Barnsley has really fallen off after... Um, you know, kind of a strong season last year. Uh, a lot of turnover, you know, in the boardroom, on the field, lost a couple of really crucial players in the market. And so they are currently propping up the table at the bottom with just three wins in 31 games. Peterborough is also really struggling, not a team that you'd usually associate with being this high to begin with. And so um, they're they're falling. But yeah, right next in 21st and 22nd, you've got a pair of teams with uh, points deductions. Uh, <laughs> one of which today, as we're recording this, actually, Velko Panovic was recently let go um, from Reading, and so they have parted ways with him after he got them to 7th last year. As you're talking about the crushing realities of finishing 7th, here they are now in 21st with a 6-point point deduction. Excuse me. Um, and, and unfortunately for them, even if they had all of those points back, they would still be in 21st. So it is a, it is a just desserts sort of thing, but... Um, Let's, let's talk about Derby. Let's talk about Derby County. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I did want to go back to a point you just made too about, yeah, like the crushing reality is whenever you get close and don't make it, it is a very real thing here where like poor Barnsley, man. Yeah. Like they're another team that would have been very out of place in the Premier League, but they were literally in the promotion playoffs. And I think it's a little bit of like a parable for Luton Town and like the importance of like doing it now if you're going to do it because yeah. like whenever you're, Whenever every sign points to you flying too close to the sun, you probably probably are. did. They beat Bournemouth. Um, it, yeah, they beat Bournemouth in the semifinal in that one too. So it was like a noble, decisive run. Um, tough to see, really tough to see. Yeah, and, but then to pivot to yeah, I mean, I think that as good as the, those stories are, closer up the table. I mean, Darby County is like a genuinely inspirational story that I think is just capped. Like it's just something you don't see very often. Like, to go back to my sad, beloved Portsmouth boys, I mean, they went from the Premier League all the way down to League Two in three consecutive years. But that's because they started three consecutive years with point deductions. And it's not just the fact that you're, like, starting out 10 points behind everyone else. It's the fact that, like, typically your organization is horribly run to have put itself into this position. <laughs> Every player who can leave does because he wants to stick around and like fight from behind. And so typically those teams just free fall to an extent because it's just such a demoralizing way to start a new year and a new season. Uh, All of which is to just give an incredible amount of credit to Wayne Rooney. Like what Darby County is doing now is and and not only have they gotten point, they've gotten point deducted twice. Yes. Like at two different stages, like starting 21 points in the hole. And being in this position is amazing. Like it is about as impressive of a coaching job as I can ever remember. Yeah. Especially a guy who like no one even he never really screamed like future manager he in really the way didn't. that some of these guys do. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that you looked at some of his peers. I mean, like Lampard, Gerard, like not a surprise necessarily. They were a little more mercurial, and they had, um, you know, that's not to say that Wayne Rooney doesn't have his intellectual. Uh, strengths he certainly did as an attacker with his movement and using his physicality to his advantage but I I think that it just there wasn't that same sort of like 
Andrea Pirlo, like this guy clearly must just obsess over the craft of the sport or Thierry Henry. Again, just to talk about these players from his generation who immediately went into management rather than being, you know, starting off as broadcasters or, or whatever else, uh, you know, ex FIFA best 11 players do after they retire. But um, yeah, I, I mean, at this point, it's been really, really interesting to watch the the reconnaissance job. I mean, he was so seriously being considered for the Everton job for a while on the back of this. And um, it's really, really interesting to see. I, I think that there, there's still a little bit of me that I would love to see them avoid the drop because of, um, you know, the, the manner in which they've gone about this season. It still looks like it's going to be a very difficult ask. They need Reading to continue their free fall down. There's still five points. They have a five-point gap ahead of them with 14 games left to go. So it's not insurmountable. It's not something that's going to be um, impossible for them to do. It's not quite the great escape. It would be the great escape in the grand scheme of things, but the way they've put it right now, they have made it um, a doable escape. <laughs> Maybe is the right way to put it. And that's good for them. And I think that that's... Uh, like you said, a huge amount of credit. Their their attack hasn't necessarily been the most inspiring. Uh, their defense hasn't been the most stifling, but they've balanced it so well. Where where one where um you know they're they're kind of alternating like either this is a very good defensive performance or this is a very good attacking performance rather than having those line up and so you have these five zero wins that you know completely you know kind of bloat their goal difference at the expense of uh, results in the future. But um. Man, you you sold it really well. Twenty one points is just—it's an unbelievable uh, amount to have almost made up. And considering this is the same organization that was almost the uh, or that had the worst Premier League season of all time during that season when they had Benny Fellhaber playing for them in England, yeah, um, you know, it's it's kind of crazy. Yeah, and they it just like the bond with their fans is really cool to see right now too. I mean, there's just something too like like Wayne Rooney. You said he was in consideration for the Everton job. Whether he would have even gotten offered it, like who knows? Like I loved his move where he did the like I'm not breaking up with you, you're breaking up with me thing, and he came out ahead of it and is like I'm not abandoning my boys to go to Everton. Like I love these guys too much. I got to see it through. He hadn't even necessarily been offered the job, but it was a great little like bit of messaging and I think that that was the same week that like the Derby fans had this rally before the game where they were like marching through the streets like protesting their sanctions or whatever and then they get to the game and they were down 2-1 late in stoppage time and they scored in the 96th minute to tie it and the the crowd scenes were just wild I mean it's just there there is very much this like community element of them all kind of coming together to try to like save this team and save this season that like how can you not root for them, right? And you, like you said, they do have a little bit of a gap still to go. I, I think they're going to make it, honestly. Like, I, I think five points is five points, but kind of flipping back what we were saying earlier, where, like, there's no way to really fluke yourself into the playoffs. Like, everybody who gets there is a very good special team. Yeah. There's also no real way to fluke yourself into getting relegated. That's a good way to put like, it, yeah. You have to be really consistently bad to not stay up. Um, and so, like, the fact that they are... I mean, their goal differential is almost even. Like you said, they would be mid-table if it wasn't for this point deduction. They're playing well enough. I think they're going to do it, and I and I hope that they do, and I hope that 
this conversation has led at least like one or two people to tune into the championship down the stretch. Because if you can't tell, like we really do like get a kick out of this a lot. Yeah. So I hope that this was informative. It's a good, yeah, it's a good, I mean, it, it, it does kind of feel like a little bit of a hipster pick here to say like, you know, here's the league you should be following. It's the second division elsewhere. But um, yeah, it, it, again, for all of these reasons that we're talking about, you're not necessarily talking about the, the corporatization of the sport to quite the same extent. You're not necessarily talking about, you know, you're not you're not spending so much time obsessing over how big the transfer fees were in a vacuum and saying here's a hundred million dollar player. Um, but there is something that's just kind of romantic about watching these teams. You know, the rises and falls and the the heroes and the goats and all of this other stuff that it's um, definitely definitely worth your time if you're looking for something else to watch over your weekends and your weekdays. Yeah, and I do think that of all of the leagues in the world, it, it probably lost the most from the pandemic in terms of being in front of empty stadiums because, as you said earlier, the aesthetics are so crucial to like the appeal, yeah. whether it's the cool different venues or the different crowds. And so I do think that this sense of everything, whether whether you want to agree with the fact that it should be coming back to life in the way that it is, like there is, I, I think that there, the championship for me is a very cool symbol of like normalcy slowly returning when you can walk, tune into some random Stoke City Coventry game and you have this entire mad crowd just singing along. Like that makes me happy and I think it's just been a really cool, uniquely cool year. Uh, so I think that that's, Probably about where to leave it at. Uh, I don't know if you got anything else to add, but thank you for joining me and doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me and, uh, you know, up the cherries. What more can you say? Sounds good, man. Have a good one. And, and yeah, and as you said earlier, we're both kind of chipping in at various points of this week. Yeah. So you'll be hearing from us again. Uh, but thanks for listening, and I hope everybody has a great week.